Well, I can tell you this morning, church, that uh, when I look out in this congregation, I know that we have the A-team this morning because you got up this morning, you lost an hour of sleep. If you got up, you looked out your window and it was snowing, or at a minimum, it was raining or sleeting when you left, but you're still in church. So I've got, I've got the A-team. I've got the group that is no matter what's going on outside, I'm going to be in church and be in the presence of the Lord. So it's good to have you here this morning. And we've always sensed God's presence in the worship and around the altar. Here to meet needs. He's here to meet your need if we will turn to him. So this morning, we're going to continue in the, the series that we started called In the Beginning, studying the book of Genesis. And uh, a few weeks ago, we started that with the creation account, Genesis 1 and 2. We saw that God created the heavens and the earth, mankind. He created me. He created you. And he gave us a perfect place to live in relationship with him and with each other. They knew God intimately. They could walk with him. There was no death, no disease, none of the heartaches that we experience. But something happened, and that something was Genesis 3. And two weeks ago, we looked at the fall of man. And what I, I challenged you with is when there's sickness in your life, when there's struggle in your life, when there's suffering in your life, go directly to Genesis 3. That's the problem. Satan will take you everywhere else. He'll tell you, God doesn't love you. You've been too bad. You've done something terrible. And that's the reason for your suffering. The reason for your suffering is Genesis 3. There's an enemy of your soul. There's an enemy of my soul. And unfortunately, the vast majority of people, we know the world doesn't believe that, but more and more Christians are not believing in a literal that there literally is someone that Jesus himself said came to do what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. And that is the cause of suffering. Well, today we're going to look at Genesis 4 and 5, 6 through 8. We're going to look at Noah's Ark. But, but, but leading up to that, I challenged you, I sent out an email, and I always will, to read Genesis 4 through 8. I hope you had a chance to do that. But in Genesis 4 and 5, we see that in one generation, sin results in, the, in murder when Cain murders his brother Abel because he resents him. He got jealous, and he murdered his brother. And the Bible said that Abel's blood cried from the earth. So in one generation of sin, we see murder, we see jealousy and resentment, and we see a cry for justice. Does that sound familiar? In one generation, we see this. And then in chapter 5, we see the genealogy of Adam. I started this series by telling you how infatuated our culture is today with knowing their natural ancestry. Well, the Bible is concerned about natural ancestry. We see it many times in the scriptures. We see two of the gospel writers give the natural ancestry of Jesus. And chapter 5 is the genealogy of Adam. We, pe we see people like Enoch. Enoch was, the, was a man that the Bible said walked so closely with God that God took him. Yeah. Two people in the Bible, that happened with Enoch, and who was the other one? Elijah, never died. Walked so closely with God, God took him. And then we see the oldest man in the Bible. Anybody know who that was? Methuselah. We know that because that's said in the culture. How many times have you heard somebody say, that guy's old as Methuselah? Do you know how old he was? 969 years old. Methuselah was 969 years old. 
Then we see a man named Lamech who had a son named Noah. And there's approximately 1,000 years from Adam to the birth of Noah. And sometimes when we read these Bible stories, I think we think these things happen within a couple years of each other. But from the accounts of Adam and the birth of Adam to the birth of Noah is approximately 1,000 years. And that brings us to Genesis 6 and the account of Noah. If we're not careful, we tend to see the story of Noah as a fairy tale or as a good folklore story. Since if you've grown up in church, it's one story that I'm sure you remember. We all know the story of Noah and his ark and from our, from our Sunday school days and the animals going in two by two. And if you haven't become familiar with it through church, you maybe you've seen one of the Hollywood movies. There's been several Hollywood movies about the story of Noah and the ark. And because of that, I think we have a tendency to think, well, that's a neat story. However, this is a real story. It's a real story with a real man, real sin, real judgment, but as the Bible always has for us, real salvation. The story is hotly debated mostly because of the flood. Many believing that there was not a global flood. But I'm here to tell you there's lots and lots of evidence for a global flood. As parents, if you're trying to raise children today, I would encourage you to get familiarize yourself with Answers in Genesis, a website, or Creation Ministries, who we've had here before, who we're looking into having here again maybe sometimes later in the summer. There's plenty of scientists that will give you scientific evidence that there was indeed a global flood. One of the most compelling ones is there's fossilized sea creatures in high levels on mountains. How did they get up there and get fossilized? But that's just one of many. There's plenty of evidence for a global flood. The account of Noah is found in Genesis 6 through 8, but he's also mentioned in the Hall of Faith. As we work through Genesis now, we begin to see some of the icons of our faith, some of the giants of our beginnings. We'll see them also mentioned in Hebrews 11, which is known as the Hall of Faith. Hebrews 11 and 7 says this, by faith, Noah being divinely warned of the things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. But the text this morning will come from Genesis 6, 1 through 14. And so if you'd like to open your Bibles or smartphones and wherever how you get it and turn with me to Genesis 6. <clears throat> <clears throat> reads like this. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was on only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. 
But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy with them, I will, I will destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence. Lord, I thank you that throughout your word we see what sin does, but every step of the way there's salvation. Every step of the way there's Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus. And we've seen him in the creation, we saw him in the fall, and we'll see him here in the ark. So I pray your blessings on me, an anointing, God, on my words, and on the ears to hear it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll look at three things as we go through this text. We're going to look at the conditions. What was it like in Noah's day? What, what was it like that, that God destroyed the earth? We're going to look at the man. What was it about Noah? What was special about Noah that God chose him? And we're going to look at the salvation. There's always salvation. So, you know, this is going to be a two-part sermon. I didn't know that starting out, but sometimes when you prepare over a message, and some of you who've done it, you know, you begin to look at something, and God takes you in a completely different direction. And I'll tell you that as I studied this and went through this, God took me in a very different direction. So this morning, I won't get past... Number one, letter A. And some of you are already looking at number one, letter A, going, what in the world is the Nephilim? I've never heard of such thing. What is the Nephilim? But you'll soon find out, and I'm not going to spend much time on that. I'll let you study that on your own. That's why I use the word there, so you can study that word on your own. Genesis, I want to read it once again. I want to read just Genesis 6, 1 through 4. Again, Genesis 6, 1 through 4 said it. Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw that the, the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with men forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterwards with the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. You'll notice there that in that text we see the word giant. You see the word giant. The Hebrew word there is Nephilim. Every other translation, more modern translations, use that word Nephilim is translated a giant. It's also used again in the book of Numbers. If you remember when the spies went out to spy the land of Canaan to see if they could take it, they came back and reported. They said, there's giants in the land. We're like grasshoppers. That is the same word that was used there. But the question is, who were they? Who were they? So first I want you to know they were, the, they were very, very wicked and they were part of the reason for the flood. They were part of the reason that God had to destroy mankind. Some say, 
that who they were was, you show you the genealogy of Adam. He had a son. Adam and Eve had other sons and daughters other than Cain and Abel. One of those sons' name was Seth. Seth was going to be the good son, the godly line. He was the line that the Messiah would have come through. And then there was Cain, who killed his brother Abel. He was the ungodly line. And some say that what happened was that the sons of Seth had, had relations with the daughters of Cain, and they created these wicked people. The problem with that is this. Why were they giants? What happened to cause them giants? That's one interpretation. But it is not the most widely accepted interpretation by most people who study the Bible. Most people believe this is what happened. They believe that fallen angels, now that are part of the demonic forces, I told you when we did Genesis 3 that Satan was cast out of heaven and many of the demons were cast out with him for pride and rebellion. That those demonic forces left their rightful place in the spiritual realm, had relations with human women, and created a supernatural demonic race known as the Nephilim. Now, some of you are going, this guy's lost his mind. I, what is he talking about? I ain't never heard such as this. But it's in the Bible. Therefore, it's inspired. Therefore, it's in there for a reason. And I understand that it comes off as a little bit odd. One of the most interesting books I've read recently was a book called The Unseen Realm by a man named Michael Heiser. Some of you read that book. He, he passed away recently. And, and the subtitle of it was Rediscovering the Supernatural Worldview of the Bible. The writers of the Old Testament and the New Testament church would have had a much more open understanding of supernatural forces than we do today. They recognized that there was demonic forces. A third of Jesus' ministry was dealing with demonic forces. But I'm afraid, here's what I'm afraid has happened to the Western church, particularly in America. Now we're plenty educated. We got professors. We got seminaries. We got doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists. We got appeal for everything. Demonic forces? That's, no, we don't even need to go there. And we become too educated. And so, no, we no longer war against it. And so I know that that interpretation might be a little strange, but I think it's the correct one. Even Dr. Jack Hayford, who also recently passed away, and his Bible said, although it has interpretive challenges, in other words, I think although it's a little strange, that's the likely scenario here. But I think what's happened in the Western church, if we've just become adverse to this idea of spiritual warfare. We've become adverse to it. So what does this have to do with being in the days of Noah and the conditions of Noah? There's not any more Nephilim left. Jude deals with that. Jude tells us that. So not only does Genesis 6, 1 and 4 talk about this, Peter speaks about this in the New Testament. Jude speaks about it. So Jude 1 and 6 says this, referring back to Genesis 6, 1 through 4. He says, And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he is reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So what happened, those angels who left their proper abode, God has judged them, he's chained them, and on the day of judgment when Satan and sin is cast into the lake of fire, they're going with them. So we're not dealing with that anymore. But what I am telling you that I do believe we're dealing with today, church, 
is that we are dealing with extraordinary and unusual supernatural demonic activity in our culture today. If you can't watch the news and see what's happening in our nation and in the Western, Western world and even around the world and understand that there's demonic influence, I don't know what it takes. And what concerns me, we know that, but what concerns me is I think the reason it's raging, I think the reason Satan's raging in America the way he is, is the church, not every church, has largely checked out of the fight. We don't believe it anymore. Do you know how, how unusual it is for what just happened down here in front of this altar in a church today? Most people would think we are nuts. They think we've lost our minds we haven't lost our minds. We have, what we did down there matters. What we did down there makes a difference. Even when we don't see it, it makes a difference. And Jesus said it would, as in the days of Noah, it would be at his return. And I don't know about you, and I'm not a, I'm not a prophecy expert, but many national scholars who studied prophecy they look at what's happening in our nation today and they, something's changing. And even just normal Christians, spirit-filled Christians that are seeking to follow the Lord say, something's changing in our nation. Does anybody else feel that way? Something is changing. And most believers who identify as believers don't even sense it. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he was a great missionary. He was going to have his head cut off for standing for Christ, for his, for his witness for Christ. He was training a young man named Timothy to take over his ministry. And in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, he told him this. This is what he said it was going to be like. He said, but know this, that in the last days. Now, one thing I think you have to understand, church, is when Jesus ascended to heaven after his resurrection, we're, that put us in the last days. We're in the last days. The question is, are we in the last of last days? Are we in the last of last days? Nobody knows that. Nobody knows the date or the time. But Jesus said we would, we would be able to discern the times. And so I do think as spirit-filled believers, when we start to feel that something's changing, and look, it just ain't about America. I think we get too caught up in America. We better pay attention to what's going on in Israel and the Middle East and some of these other places. But this is what he said. He said, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does that, does that sound familiar to anybody? Why all that? I hadn't stopped. I know there's something after that. How did we get here? And how has America and the American Western Church gotten where it is today? And this is the scripture God dropped into my heart when I was preparing this message. This is why. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. 
And we live in a culture today where we have the American church, we have beautiful buildings, we have even a steeple on the church, we have all these things, we come in on Sunday morning, fly in, last minute, check the Christian box, but we've denied the power of God. And there's many, many churches today who have just checked out of the supernatural. Power, what what I need power for? And so I began to ask the Lord, I said, what, what if, Lord, what has the church denied your power to do? What, what, what is it? What's missing? A few things came to mind. First, we have denied the power to release from sin. The power and the presence and the Holy Spirit still breaks the bonds of sin. But people come into churches day after day. They walk in in a sinful state, living in sin. They walk out in a sinful state. And there's no presence or power or anointing of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. Because we want everybody to feel good. I want you to feel good. I want you to have a great service today. But if your life, if you're living in sin, if you're a sinful person, I hope you're miserable. Because I've sat under the conviction and it's miserable. But what that is, that's the Holy Spirit pulling at your heart saying, it's time to let the sin go. I got something better for you. And when that begins to happen, you're going to do one of two things. You're going to repent or you're going to rebel. And we live in a nation that has decided to rebel. We have entire churches that have decided to rebel. And therefore, we have denied the power of the Holy Spirit to break the bonds of sin. Every, everybody's had an opinion about what's happened at Asbury, Kentucky. If you don't know what happened... Down in a college, Asbury College, they have chapel. Most Christian colleges do, and they had their normal chapel. Well, apparently what happened was most everyone left. As, I, as I've studied this and seen what happened. And there's been a million pundits about it, you know, whether or not it was real, whether or not, it, how do you keep it going. My opinion, and I'm just another pundit, is the power of that awakening or that move of God is, is, is strongest at its initial onset. I think after that, it becomes a spectator sport. Everybody wants to ride down, see what God's doing down there. Maybe he'll do it for me. My sense is if we seek God and want repentance and seek his power, we can have that right here at 3518 Rosa Sharon Road. Okay? We don't, okay, now, that, that's Larry's opinion. and I, I'm entitled to one like everybody else has. But one thing that seems to, everybody I read seemed to started that, was everybody had left. But there was a handful of students that began to cry and repent. The Holy Spirit was moving on them. They began to cry and repent before God. And that began to usher in His presence. When, when, When the Holy Spirit of a holy God begins to show up, you're either going to repent or you're going to rebel. And more and more people begin to come in and they come into that presence and begin to repent before the, of their sins before a holy God. That's my desire. And, and you know what? It's for us too. It's for the church. It's for the believers. Because there's sometimes things we need to repent of. You know, I think about Isaiah. Isaiah, a great prophet. He said, I saw the Lord in His temple, high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. He got a vision. The Lord allowed him to see the glory of God for just a moment. And you know what he didn't do? He didn't run and say, let me go get somebody else. Let me do this. Let me do this. You know what he said? Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips. 
And I'm around people of unclean lips. When you get into the presence of a holy God and you begin to see your sinfulness, it has an impact on you. It has an impact on you. It had an impact on Peter. You remember the story where Peter had been out fishing all night? Didn't catch a thing? He comes back in. Jesus is standing on the shore. And, he, Peter says, I mean, and Jesus says, hey, hey, Peter, throw your net back out on the other side. Peter's like, Lord, I'm an experienced fisherman. I know what I'm doing. I've been fishing all night. I ain't caught nothing. Do it again. Put it out there, Peter. So he throws that net out. And the Bible says that so many fish are in that net that he, they can't even pull it into the boat without it breaking. And Peter jumps out of his boat and he runs up. And here's what I think happened. I think for just a second, Peter didn't see the natural man of Jesus. I think for a nanosecond, he got an image of the glory of God. And you remember what he did? He fell on his knees and he said, Lord, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. And at the times that I weep before the Lord and I hate that in my natural man, if you want to know the truth about it, it's when just for a moment I sense the glory and the majesty of God. And like Isaiah and Peter, I want to say, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. I'm undone. And I realize without Him, without His grace, without His mercy, I am eternally lost. And then I am eternally grateful for the cross. But we've denied the power. We don't see that anymore. When's the last time you felt the anointing and the presence of God so hard that you just wanted to fall on your knees and weep before Him? I'm going to tell you something. Men, there's nothing like that. Nothing like that. We've denied its power to break from sin. We've denied its power over demonic forces. We've denied it. No, we don't pray of it. Have you noticed that everything today is mental illness? Everything. Addictions are mental illness. Violence is mental illness. Anxiety, worry, everything, everything, everything's mental illness. But we have an answer for that. We go see a psychiatrist, psychologist, doctor. I'm not opposed to that. Please don't misunderstand me. One thing I've said that I don't think the church, particularly the Pentecostal church, has done very well is to acknowledge that mental illness is part of the fall, just like cancer is. And we don't typically say to people with cancer, well, if you had enough God and you had enough Holy Spirit in you, you wouldn't have that cancer. There are some who believe that, but that's not biblical. We've got to look at Genesis 3. But there are times, church, when I think there's things going on in people's lives, even believers' lives, but particularly the world's lives, that is demonic influence in it. But we won't acknowledge it anymore. We don't, the Western church won't even acknowledge it anymore. When an 18-year-old shooter will walk into a school in Uvalde, Texas with an AR-15 and methodically kill 19 elementary school students, to me, that's not mental illness. It's not mental illness. When an 18-year-old shooter will go into a grocery store in Buffalo, New York, and kill 10 people just because they're black, and he was white and said, I hate blacks and I hate Jews, that's, to me, that's not mental illness. I think there's demonic influence in that. When in Plano, Texas, not, not crazy California, but Plano, Texas, the heart of conservatism, when women who look like they should be normal middle-aged women will be in a restaurant and men come out dressed like women 
dance provocatively, say filthy words. They're holding up the dollar bills, but yet there's a five or six-year-old girl sitting in one of the ladies' laps, and even the little five or six-year-old girl, if you look at her eyes, she knows something's not right about this. That's not normal. When doctors, educated men and women, suggest hormones for our youngest children because they don't know what gender they are, that's not normal. That's not mental illness to me. When porno pornographic books are right here in our public schools, right here, and some of you have seen them, folks, that's demonic activity. And we don't pray against it anymore. I found this study I want to share with you. Found it very interesting. Found it very, very interesting. The title of the article is Science, Science Journal Says Psychiatry Needs to Get Right with God. <clears throat> Dr. David H. Rosmarin, an associate professor, professor at Harvard Middle School, argues that psychiatry needs to get right with God. That's the title of his recent article in Scientific American. Listen to this statistic. Nearly 60% of psychiatric patients want to discuss spirituality in the context of their treatment. Yet we rarely provide such an opportunity. That tells me that 60% of the people who are seeking some type of help for psychological services know something's not right spiritually with me. But there's nobody... There's, there's very few churches. Now, we know that the, that the psychological services are not going to send people down to the local church. But by all means, the local church like ours should be offering prayer for people if you're dealing with something. I, I just, as I thought through this, I thought, God, I wonder what would happen if, if all of a sudden the psychological services got saved. Every psychologist in the United States got saved. And when people came in for treatment, they said, okay, I'm going I'm to talk with you. I'm going to diagnose you. And I'm going I'm to devise a treatment plan. But part of that treatment plan, I want you to go down there to that Bethel Christian Center at 3518 Rosa Sharon Road. And I want you to tell them that you're, God, I'm, I'm dealing with fear and anxiety and depression and all these things. And those people are going to pray over you. And that's going to be part of your treatment plan. wonder what would happen. I'm convinced that we would see a lot of people get better. I, I am. But how often does that happen? How often does spirit-filled believers... Not me, not the elders of this church, but those of you who follow God. You have as much authority as I have if you're seeking Him. Have you gone to a friend or a co-worker, especially maybe one that's in the hospital, and said, hey, uh, can I pray with you? He went on to say of more than 90,000 active projects within the National Institute of Health, fewer than 20 mentioned spirituality anywhere in the abstract. So 90,000, in other words, 90,000 studies by the National Institute of Health of psychological issues, fewer than 20, mentioned anything about spiritual health. In the wake of COVID-19, Rosmarin observed our hunger for a connection with God and the church. In the early days of the pandemic, Jeanette Benson of the University of Copenhagen examined Google searches for the word prayer in 95 countries. So in the height of the pandemic, this lady Googled how many times, she did, a, she did a study on how many times people Googled prayer. She identified that it hit an all-time global high in March of 2020. 
and increases occurred in lockstep with the number of COVID-19 cases. During COVID-19, people were afraid, people were anxious, people were isolated, people, people wanted something, they didn't know what they wanted often, and they knew something was wrong spiritually, and they wanted prayer. But I'm afraid that the church is largely checked out of that business. In the past year, mental health sank to the lowest point in history. Incidents of mental health disorders increased by 50%. Compared with the, before the pandemic, alcohol, and other substance abuse surged. Young adults were twice as likely to seriously consider suicide. Yet the only group to see improvements in mental health during the past year were those who attended religious services at least weekly. They reported excellent mental health today versus 42% a year ago. What we do matters. What we do at this altar matters. You come into church on Sunday matters. Dads, moms, dads, but particularly dads, particularly dads, when you, guard, when you cover your children spiritually, when you pray over them, when you, when you lead that family spiritually, you have no idea the difference that that makes. It makes a difference. But sometimes we can't see it, and I understand that. And what my struggle was is, once again, I'm not, a, I'm not saying that there's not psychological issues that are part of the fall. Are they part of the fall? Or are they some type of demonic oppression? I don't know. But God does. And that's why if I'm dealing with something in my life, whether it's a physical illness or, so, or something I'm struggling with psychologically, I'm going to seek help. But I'm going to come down to 3518 Rose of Sharon Road first. And I'm going to say, put some of that oil on my head and pray over me. And seek the God of heaven who still heals and who still delivers. And let's see what he's going to do for me first. It just so happened that while I was preparing this, this message, I, uh, I was, there's a, a radio show and a guy I like to listen to quite a bit named Michael Brown. He's, he's got a nationally syndicated show. He's a uh, Messianic Jew, Pentecostal. I, I just, he's very balanced and I like him. And he happened to have a guy on his show recently that his church moves in the deliverance ministry. And they were talking about that. And he asked this guy, he said, what's the biggest threat to the, to the deliverance ministry in the church? He said, those who are seeking the fantastical. So in other words, the fear, and, 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 and this is where I struggle, church. I, I have a tendency to pull back from that sometimes because flesh can get in it real quick. But he said this, it isn't always, and not often, Really, that it has to be some emotional outburst, that some demon comes out screaming, all that stuff. He said most of the time when he sees people have a break, it's because they came down to an altar and people who know God and love God and love them gathered around them, just like we did here, put their hands on them and pray over them. And it makes a difference. It don't always have to be the fantastical. But we've lost that. Everything's an addiction. The Bible calls it a stronghold. Part of the problem is, like I said, when we pray often, we don't see anything happen. I, you know, I want to see things happen immediately. I, I'm a, I, let's get this done right now, God. Can we, come on now. Can we do it now? Can I see something happen? I need it. I need to see something happen. And as I thought about that, I thought, Lord, I wonder what would happen if just for a moment he, he, he just rolled back the natural, and let me get a glimpse into the supernatural. First of all, I think it would scare me to death. Probably scare all of us to death. But then I think it might enhance our prayer life because if we could see what's happening when we're praying, 
it might enhance our sterile life. And I thought about that as I, as I thought about Daniel 10. Daniel 10. Daniel was in Babylon. He was in captivity. But Daniel had said, look, I'm not going to defile myself. I'm not going to take on the, the culture of, the, uh, uh, of Babylon. I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm going I'm to stay true to God. And the Bible says that in Daniel 10, that he had a vision. And an angel come down and said to Daniel, he said, Daniel, from the moment you set your mind to understand and you said your words, I was sent out of heaven to come down here. But he said, but the prince of Persia, that's demonic forces, a demon, hindered me for 21 days. So Daniel has prayed. He needs something. Three weeks, nothing's happening. He, don't know, he has no idea what's going on up there. But something's going on up there. He said, for 21 days, the prince of Persia hindered me. And this angel even said, and I had to get some backup. I called for Michael, the chief priest, and he came. And there was a war in heaven over that prayer. Do I think that happens in our, in our realm today? Absolutely, I do. Daniel couldn't have seen that. He couldn't have seen it. In 2 Kings 6, 15 through 17, there's a story of Elisha, the prophet of God. And he has a servant. And they're surrounded by a Syrian army. And the servant's like, we're going to lose. I mean, look at all these people. We're going to lose this. And Elisha prays. He says, God, drop, drop the natural off his eyes for a minute. Let him see up in the spiritual just for a second. And he drops those natural eyes. And he looks up on the mountain. Everywhere he sees chariot after chariot after chariot. A flame, flaming chariots and angels and angelic forces. And I think that servant said, we're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. We don't know what happens when we pray, church. But we got to pray. We got to pray. We got to acknowledge there's demonic forces working in our, in, our, in our nation, in our homes. They're after our children. <laughs> and look, I... I, I, I'm, I know I've seen these things on social media and all like you are before, and they say things like, well, I'm going to tell you something now. If you come to break into my house, you better be ready to make Jesus because I'm going to grange the meeting. I'm going to get my sixth hour, and we're going to deal with this thing. I'm with you. But there's a whole lot more likely that demonic forces are going to try to get into your home and get your children than that's ever going to happen. And when you get on your knees before God, you're, you know, in the natural, we're ready to get our gun. We're ready to get our, our, our fighting posture. But you know what? Sometimes we need to get on our knees like this. This is how I fight my battles. And dad in particular, if you've never prayed over your children, your young children, pray over them. God has given you so much authority in that. I'm going to ask, uh, what are we going to do? We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. We're just going to open this altar. Play. We've got two songs ready to go. And I want you to come down this morning and pray. Is there something going on in your life? Do you need a physical touch? Do you need a spiritual touch? Do you need a mental touch? Come down and let's do a little bit of spiritual warfare. We've already prayed over some needs, so this is just an open altar. For those of you who've been with us on Friday night, it's much like Friday night. It's just an open altar. It's a place to pray. 
Something going on in your family? You're worried about your kids? You're worried about something? Come pray. If you can't kneel down, that's okay. Come sit on the front. And let's pray. How do we do spiritual battle? I'm going to close with this, and then Kristen's going to start the music. How do we do? First, you've got to get saved, church. If you're here, you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, submit to Him. Let the Spirit of the living God come and live in you. Pray fast. Seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I wish I could tell you that the now I lay me down to sleep prayers is going to get it as we go forward, but it is not. We're going to need a little more spiritual uh, battle gear as things get darker. So we're going to open up the altar. She's going to play. And I'm going to to challenge you to come down. Maybe things are going great in your life. What we've decided to do, we've got prayer cards that people have been filling out. We pray over them on Friday night. If you don't have anything else to pray over, I'm going to lay these cards along this altar right here. Pick up one of these prayer cards and pray. Because this this person has a need. And they want people to pray over it. You may not see anything. You may not feel anything. But it matters. Daniel didn't see anything. He didn't feel anything. But it mattered. And we don't know what happens when we begin to pray and seek God. So I'm going to ask Kristen if she will to start the music. This altar is open to you to pray. If you do have a special need, there will be a few walking behind you. If they, if they touch you and just begin to pray with you, if you have a need, stand up, take hold of their hand and say, will you join with me in prayer? I have a need. And let's see what God's going to do. And I want to challenge you. As we go forward, as we get into 2023, and as you see things get darker, it's time to press in. It's time to be ready to do the spiritual warfare. You cannot read the Bible. See what Jesus dealt with? Paul said we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with what? Powers and principalities and rulers of this dark world. We've got to be ready to wrestle with them.